I'm going to ask you to turn tonight with me, please, to the book of Luke. And we're looking in chapter 23. Luke 23. And then there's one verse we'll call our attention to found in the book of Hebrews tonight. And that's chapter 12. I'm going to try to keep my eye on my watch a little better than I did last evening. I heard folks was out looking for restaurants open. They couldn't find them open. The preacher preached so long last night. Luke chapter number 23 and Hebrews chapter 12. I often say when the preacher is away from home, he can call home and His wife can hear his voice and just about tell the spiritual temperature he's in. And I've called home each evening. And uh, my wife said last evening, she said, you're having a good time, aren't you? And uh, I said, yeah, I am. I don't know if anyone else is or not, but I am. And uh, she said, I can tell. She wanted me to express her appreciation for helping me this week. Said I needed some help and... She could tell I was getting some, so I bring that to you. But this has been a good week for me. I say that sincerely. I am somewhere about every week with some of God's people. But I said to her, and I say it to you, I don't know when I've enjoyed a week, the sense of the Lord's presence, the warmth of your welcome and your kindness and the fellowship of this dear preacher. I don't know when I've enjoyed a week any more than I have this week. And I'm grateful to God. And My wife said to me last evening, she said, you know, it's been, what, better than 30 years that you've been traveling. And this was a first this week. Uh, this dear pastor and this church sent my wife a lovely arrangement of beautiful flowers and thanked her for her sharing me with you this week. And she is overwhelmed. That touched our hearts. And we're grateful. She said, uh, though she doesn't know you, she said, Brother Trivet and his people, they must be super nice. I said, well, his people is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said I was going to say something good about him, but he introduced me to a waitress the other evening. said, it's been five years since he had his papaw with him, and he's glad I was back. <laughs> so... I made up my mind I wasn't going to say anything nice about him. <laughs> but uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for every expression of your kindness. and I say that sincerely. Luke chapter 23, I preached through this book when I was in the pastorate. My style of preaching is just working through a book. And uh, we came to this portion of God's Word and I have before me tonight some of the notes that I first put down a number of years ago. I feel the Lord has directed us to this passage tonight and sort of trust we can introduce it with that one verse out of Hebrews 12. We'll look there in a moment, but now look with me in Luke 23. And at this point, let's just sort of pick out a little expression here that's found in verse 35. 
And the people stood beholding. Just sort of think about that. That's a little interesting expression. It means more than they were just looking there. They were with intent. They're not just glancing, but they're gazing. They're beholding. Then look at verses 48 and 49. And all of the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all of his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. With that word in mind, look please in Hebrews 12. And verse number 3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Consider him. Give some thought to him. idea behind the word consider is to give some careful thought, contemplate, think with care, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, such opposition of sinners against himself. And then the writer of this book to these early Hebrew believers tells them why he's asking them to do that. He says, lest you become weary and faint in your mind could be translated, lest you lose heart, become discouraged, become weary and faint in your mind. Something that's so prevalent today in the lives of God's people, they're losing heart. They did run well, but something is hindering them. They're fainting before reaping time. And this text tells us that there is something here that we can do and it'll prevent that. It'll keep us from becoming weary and faint. Now there's an end term that describes this. Uh, We've always had this problem, but we have a term today that brings it into focus. You read about it, you hear it mentioned, it's burnout. People suffer that in every phase of life. Not all professions. People in the work of God, they, they lose heart. Burnout is a, it's a loss of enthusiasm. It's a loss of energy. To become weary is that I'm losing my enthusiasm, and when I faint, I lose my energy. I mean, I have no strength. There's a work to be done, but there's no strength to do it. There's still a job to be done, but there's no heart for the job. And uh, let me repeat how... How much of this we see, there's still a great work to be done, and yet somehow we don't have a heart for it. And he says that there is something that we can do that will keep us from becoming weary and faint in our minds. There was a man introduced and spoke to a large crowd of preachers, and I couldn't tell you what God said to me through him. He's an aged man. He's with the Lord now. Been a preaching, I'm not sure how many years when I heard him speak, but after he finished, well, the brother who introduced him, he also was an older man of God. He had him to come back to the microphone and he said, 
I introduced him over 50 years ago for the first time, and he did then, God helping him, what he did tonight. said, God used him to stir hearts, break hearts, move us, and, and crowds of people around the front that evening with brokenness and concern and re-enlisting and just giving themselves anew and afresh to love him and serve him better and have a burden for souls that which he died for. And he said, could I ask you some questions for the benefit of all of us? He said, "When a day when so many people are losing heart and losing uh, uh, their burden and somehow it seems that it's intensified in your soul, how is it after all of these years you, you have not lost heart, you have not lost your concern, not lost your burden? He said, is there a secret? And that man of God said, I don't know that it's a secret, but he said, I was encouraged as a young preacher many years ago by a man of God. And he said, there is a way to keep from backsliding, getting cold, this business serving God, becoming an old hat to you and just routine. And he said, if you live close to the cross, don't get far from Calvary. And that man of God said that and tears just didn't swell up here, trickle down his cheek. He said, I wouldn't brag about it, but I memorized the chapters of the Gospels that talks about the crucifixion as a young man. I've committed them to memory through the years. He said, I don't let too much time elapse. And I don't go back to Calvary. He said, not just, you know, in a passing thought, I go over it. Writing sometimes, I'll quote the chapter. Meditation, even at night, I'll bring those verses to my into my conscious thinking and just... Ask Him to make Calvary, the reality of Calvary, make it real in my own soul. And He says, perhaps that's helped keep my heart tender. He said, perhaps that's kept me from becoming, as you put it, backslid and cold and routine and old hat. Well, I'm going to ask you to look with me as we behold tonight from Luke 23. A different type of a message tonight, and it won't take me as long as it's been taken. I want you to think with me about what he suffered at Calvary. That's what they were told to do in that Hebrew text, to consider him. And that's what they were asking him to do, is consider what he went through at Calvary, that opposition, that, that uh, suffering that he encountered from the hands of men when they took him and hung him on that cross. And that text said if they would do that, that would keep them from becoming wearied and faint in their minds. I don't want us to think so much tonight about why he suffered or even how he suffered. I want you to think with me about what our Lord suffered at Calvary. There's five different types of suffering that's brought before us in this scripture. Let's just look at them. Verse 13, Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, Rulers and the people, he said to them, you brought this man to me as one that perverteth the people. Behold, I haven't examined him before you. Now no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. No yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I'll therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto him at the feast. They cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to him, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. 
He said to him the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I'll therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed, and Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. In those verses, I note tonight the first type of suffering that our Lord encountered at the cross. He suffered rejection. Rejection in its rawest form. Rejection like I think no one has ever suffered. Notice, Pilate tries his best to get Jesus Christ off of his hands. They say in verse 18, away with him. We don't want this man. Down in verse 21, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And then in verse 23, they were together. They was instant with these loud voices, and they were requiring that he might be crucified. And finally their voices prevailed, and Pilate gave sentence and released unto him this notorious one, this murderer and this one who had led the insurrection. But he delivered Jesus to their will, and their will was, we don't want him. You ever been rejected? You ever have anyone that didn't care for you, didn't want you, perhaps preferred someone else to you? See, that makes this, as I said a moment ago, uh, in its rawest form. It wasn't that this crowd just said to him, we don't want you, but they said there is someone that we prefer instead of you. He came to his own, but his own received him not. I had a call some time ago, and he said... Wilbur, pardon me for calling so late. And he's someone I care deeply for, a member of my own family. And he said, I need prayer. Two o'clock in the morning in the motel room. And uh, he couldn't express himself for his tears. And he said, I knew we had some problems, but I never dreamed it's so severe. He said, I need God to help me. He said, I'm just going to be honest. And he called her name. He said, she, she don't want me anymore. He said, that's hard, but what really liked to de- uh, devastate and destroyed me is the word he used. He said, uh, there is someone else she does want. And she's preferred him to me. And he said, I need help. I need the Lord to help me. He said, this rejection is just about more than I can take. Well, do you ever have anyone say to you, I don't want you? I meet people all over the country's lost heart. You know what it was? A sense of rejection by someone. I meet preachers that someone didn't want. Someone didn't care for. Someone wasn't kind to. Be honest is the opposite. And, and in their rejection, they would be mean to them. And even the entire family. Some of you couldn't believe how many people around across the country are just utterly devastated. It's killed their sense of self-worth. And their self-image. And even to the point that uh, they can't even co-party. And they've encountered what our Lord encountered when He came to this earth and He came to His own and His own says, we don't want you. It wasn't the Romans that said it. It wasn't the Greeks that said it. It wasn't the Syrians that said it. It was people He had a relationship with. It was people that, uh, that He belonged to. And they said, no, we don't want you. When I was a pastor, I... Try to prepare people that went on, went calling. 
we'd have scores, and to God be the glory, before we left there sometimes, they'd be well over 100 on our visitation day, on our Saturday outreach after we got the building built. And we'd just go in a new area and canvas that area and take the gospel to them. And uh, especially young Christians that wasn't prepared for rejection. Or oh, sometimes that'll, that'll just about cause a person to lose heart when someone slams the door in your face. Someone especially be unkind to you. If you do any calling, you know everybody's not out there waiting on you and got the coffee pot on and said, we couldn't wait till you got here. I mean, it's not that. And yet sometimes we'll say it's not worth it. And we just, we may not verbalize it, but in our heart, we'd make up our mind, we're not going to go anymore. Well, the servant's not greater than his Lord. How do you expect to be treated if you go in his name in a society that's godless? Getting more so. Not going to get better. It's going to become, it's going to get worse. And we need to realize if we're going to keep from losing heart and fainting and just giving up, we need to stop and to consider him and look yonder at Calvary, what he endured, and he endured a sense of rejection like you couldn't believe. I was preaching north of where I live, 50 miles or so. And it was in the holiday season, and I usually preach uh, uh, around that area weekends. This was a three-day meeting of guests the first part of the year. And I was in this truth, this text. And uh, a lady, she she won't talk to me after service. And she was uh, an unchurched person. uh, Ill at ease, really, she said there in the service at first. But she said, my neighbor came and talked to me today and said she almost insisted. I told her, really, I'm not interested in church. And she said, just go this one night. And she said, I couldn't believe what you started talking about. And I used the illustration I did a moment ago about my relative. And she said, and she could hardly express herself. I'm embarrassed. She said, tell you this, preacher. But she said this through the holidays, said especially I've been so depressed and so empty and said just before Thanksgiving, my husband said to me, I don't want you. But she said there was someone he did want. And when you said that tonight, she said, to be honest, I, I've came, she said, I've come that close to taking my own life twice. I just don't want to live. Then I'd think of, uh, I'd think of our two children and grandchildren. They're not real young. They're people in their, in their fifties. And she said, we have grandchildren. I thought what it would do to them, me being so selfish and take my own life. And she said, when you started preaching tonight, she said, I, I haven't been in church in a long time. I, I've been saved, but I'm not right with God. She said, I got right here tonight. But she said, when you started preaching about rejection, I couldn't believe. She said, I knew this lady hadn't told my situation, but said, God seemed to say to me, that's why, that, that's why she insisted you being here. Uh, I've got a word for you tonight. Well, I may be speaking to someone in this room this evening. You, you become weary. You've lost some heart. You've become faint, really. You've lost energy. Uh, and it could be that you have experienced this business of rejection and, and perhaps to the point that you can't really cope with it. Would you consider him? Did you know he's touched with the feelings of your infirmity tonight? Did you know that which pains you and burdens you, uh, though others may not can relate, did you know he relates to that tonight? And he says, casting all of your care, including rejection, cast it on him. He cares for you. He suffered rejection, number one. Number two, 
second kind of suffering. Look at verse 35. We've already read the first part of it, but then look at the rest of that verse. <clears throat> it says, And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, now they're using words. That's the second way he suffered. Not only rejection, he suffered great verbal abuse. They're taking words, and they're abusing him with their words. Words of derision here. And they're saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. Look at verse 36. And the soldiers also mocked him. And down in verse 37, in this mockery and put down, they're using words and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Look at verse 39, this verbal abuse again. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. Saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Do you ever have anybody to verbally abuse you? I know rejection can involve verbal abuse, but it doesn't have to, but it can. So this is a second type of suffering. I wouldn't have to have a knife or a gun or a club to hurt you tonight. I could stand here and put scars on you that you'd take to your grave, and you'd never get away from it. And you know what I would use is that little unruly member of my body that God says is the is the the member that needs God to control. Words, hateful words, hasty words. Oh, how many people has been discouraged and they've lost heart because someone has verbally abused them. Someone has hurt them with their words. Someone has put them down. They've heard about gossip about them. And, and many, many people I meet, and they open their heart to me. And they say, Brother Hurt, I used to be faithful. I used to go to church. I used to even try to be a soul winner. But they, they're not working at it now. And when you really listen to what they're telling you, you know what it is? They've been abused verbally. Well, did you know as you behold him, consider him, Oh, these words, words of derision, words of mockery, words that were designed to put down, words that's designed to hurt him, words that intended to, to belittle and to, and, and to put this shame and heap it upon him. And finally, this one of these thieves, he changed his mind later. But uh, uh, both of them, rather at first, and one of them changed his mind and repented. But uh, one of the malefactors here, uh, he railed on him. He said, then, if you're Christ, save yourself. And us, verbal abuse. You ever have anyone to verbally abuse you? I gave a track a while back to a lady. I had to leave home early that morning. I had to drive about 10 hours, and it's wintertime. It's not daylight yet. And there's a Kroger store not too far from where we live, and I pulled through the shopping center area, and it's open around the clock, and I slipped in there and picked up a couple articles, and and uh, spoke to the lady. She was very, very friendly, very open. And good morning, she said. And I had a gospel track in my hand. I tried to be a witness where the Lord will give me opportunity. And I said to her, I said, pardon me, but could I, could I share just a word with you? And I said, here's a word that tells us how we can know for sure we're going to heaven and uh, no doubt about it. And it's a word that lets us know God loves us. And I couldn't tell you. I wouldn't tell you what she said to me. One person behind me and the manager over here, and that's the only ones around there. And here it is before 6 a.m. in the morning. And she'd already taken hold of that track, and I went ahead and told her so she'd have, you know, some notion of what it was. And I, and when I said it, it tells you how God loves you. And she crunched that and threw it back at me. 
Oh, you're talking about being verbally abused. What she said? She'd never met me. She didn't know me. Immediately, God's, God's Spirit just impressed me. He said, don't you take that personally? She's got a problem. She burst in tears and turned to the manager and said, I'm sorry, can you take and, and she walked back there and he, you know, he, he's not uh, uh, there close by. He doesn't know what's going on. He, he thought I've, uh, I've wronged her in some way. And I, I picked the track up and I simply said, I said, I'm sorry. My intent was not to offend the lady, but I knew I, God didn't want me to slip out till I walked over to where she'd gone. And I said, you may tell me none of my business, but I said, I, I've pastored a church in this city. I travel now and speak to God's people. I said, it'd be of interest to me. You have a broken heart. And I said, if I could be of some help. And she said, don't tell me God loves me. And she just, you couldn't believe how emotional she became. She said, he killed my boy a few weeks ago. Don't tell me God loves me and, uh, and take my boy like he did. And I knew I was running the risk of being late, but the door opened for me and we sat there for 30 or 40 minutes and tried to help that dear lady. Oh, yeah, there was verbal abuse, much of it. You couldn't believe it first. But God said to me, she don't know you. She needs a word. She needs to understand where she's misunderstood. And she needs some light where she's in darkness. Try to understand people. And tonight, when someone is verbally abusing you, oftentimes that's their way of expression. they got a deeper problem somewhere. And the Lord relates to this verbal abuse. Words of mockery, words of contempt, words that belittle him, words that hurt him. Verbal abuse. Consider him. You expect me to say this. Look at verse number 33 when they... We'll come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. You ever wonder why a crucifixion is not described in the Bible? This is about all it ever said. They didn't have to for that first century world. They didn't have to describe a crucifixion. People he's writing to, they quickly, all he needed to say was they crucified him. They understood all that that involved. Excruciating pain. Most painful death that a person could die. Romans wouldn't even put their own citizens to death like this. You couldn't adequately describe the pain of crucifixion, the in inhumane treatment, the unthinkable, indescribable treatment that he had to go through uh, at the cross. Uh, so it just simply says they, they crucified him. This suffering seems to come... Well, it comes to head here in two ways. Number one, it, it, it's referred to in verse 16. Look at it. He says, I'll chastise. John later will describe that. That's, called, that's a Roman scourging. Uh, leather straps about six feet in length. On the end, pieces of, of lead or something that's very sharp like a razor. And they bear the victim's back. And I'm told by people that's authority on this that oftentimes the victim would die right there. Entrance would just fall out at their feet. And they took and prophesied that there'd be furrows plowed on his back. Consider him tonight. Some of us lose heart and give up in the least little opposition. 
Some of us, we got our feelings hurt and somebody abused us or someone didn't like us and someone rejected us and someone slammed a door in the face and we say it's not worth it. We're going to quit God. And this Hebrew text says, you give some thought, you consider Him. You, you contemplate with, with attention, look up there. Suffering. Scourging. Then there's the crucifixion. We were over there. Some of you have been there. I have in my study a replica of the spikes that they said that went in his hand. About like that. The feet. About like that. Tucked and nailed him to that cross and, and that crown on his brow, those thorns. You couldn't. He endured the pain of it. He despised the shame of it. The artist is kinder than reality. They didn't even have a loincloth on him. Hung him out there in the nude. The shame of that day. The pain of that day. Would you, would you consider him? Lest you become faint and weary and lose heart? As I said a moment ago, it's every point actually Merits an entire message, so I'm just mentioning an outline for him tonight. He suffered rejection. He suffered verbal abuse. He suffered physical abuse. Then, look at verse 44 of the same chapter. It's about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth till the ninth hour. Now, we would need to, we won't tonight, but to get a fuller insight, we'd need to go to the other scriptures that talks about this text. And uh, this text tells us about the fourth way he suffered. Out of the darkness he cried, and that cry was, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And uh, that brings into, into view tonight a, a, di a different type of suffering. I said he suffered rejection, he suffered verbal abuse, and he suffered uh, physical abuse. He suffered what I'm calling spiritual abandonment. He's left all alone. Could I come right to the point? He went to hell alone for us. Uh, much deeper truth than I would ever understand is involved right here, but that time of that darkness, He is suffering all of the judgment of God and the hell that all of us sinners deserve. And uh, out of the spiritual abandonment, there's two realities. And the first reality is that darkness and the other reality is that desertion, that cry of desertion. He said, why? Why have you forsaken me? I spent some time with a man of God a while back. He, I say a while back. It's been some months now because he's going to be with the Lord in the recent, recent two months. But, and I asked him some questions. been preaching longer than I've been living. And uh, I haven't forgotten what he said. He said, Brother Hurt, he said there's something missing in the modern-day pulpit of America. He said, you don't ever hear hell mentioned much anymore. You never hear it mentioned. He said, some years ago when God was breaking through communities and revivals, he said, there'd be a message. Warn them to flee the wrath to come. A dear man of God, older man, he's ate his big old tears. He said, brother, her, hell's still real and people still going. But somehow, I guess we don't believe it anymore. We don't preach it anymore. I was in a meeting some time ago and a preacher, I didn't even recognize him. He, his appearance had changed, so I'm not saying he was 
extremely overweight, but he was somewhat the last time I saw him, and I hadn't seen him in about a year, and he's lost so much weight now, he doesn't even look well. He came up here and knelt, and I didn't even know him, though he was seated close enough, I could see him, and he came up here and knelt. And I said, Brother, I, I didn't know you was here. He said, Brother Hurt, the last, I believe he said, seven, seven or eight months has been all about more than I could take. He said, Daddy died and went to hell. He said it in the same sentence. Daddy died and went to hell, Brother Hurt, a few months ago. And said, I, I didn't have a broken heart for him before that. I'd kept planning on, said, I'd hear someone preach on about the need of having a real burden and try to win your family. But said, Daddy was kind of an outspoken person and dead, but intimidate me. And he said, what really broke my heart, I was there not too long before that, and God, the Holy Spirit, kept nudging me, say something to your daddy. He said, Brother Hurt, I have said so many times, I wouldn't give a second thought what he'd say to me if I had one more opportunity. I'd fall on my face, and I'd say, oh, Dad, please, there is a hell. But he said, God has broken my heart so, and I'm trying to give myself to him now. And he said, to be honest, the crisis I've had to go through has been, in his word, it's been just about unbearable. And he said, I've lost weight. And a man told me later that heard him preach, said, Brother Hurt, oh, you couldn't believe the brokenness and the tears and the compassion that he stood and preached with. I hadn't forgotten that. I'd made myself a little note there on the way he said it. He said, Daddy died and went to hell a few months ago. Did you know on that cross that day, Jesus Christ took our judgment in our hell so we don't have to go. Oh, how we need to keep from losing heart and keep on telling people that they don't have to go. There's a way out. I close by saying this. It seems, it may seem to you that it's like an afterthought after the ordeal we've gone through here just to mention this, but I'm taking it just as it comes here. Notice after the, the darkness in verse 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, we're told elsewhere what that loud voice is. He said, it's finished. That was his sixth statement. And now here's his seventh one. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He died. And that's the fifth type of suffering that he went through at Calvary. He suffered rejection. He suffered verbal abuse. He suffered physical abuse. He suffered spiritual abandonment. And then he suffered death. Called the last enemy to us. He, he actually died. They took a lifeless body from that cross and placed that body in that tomb. He dismissed his spirit and gave it back to his father. I won't go into any detail other than just to say this, but when you bring that truth into focus, God says that He commended His love toward us. Literally means He displayed it. He put that love on display where it can be seen. And someone says, Preacher, where is it at? The heavens declare His glory. Where do you see His love? And it says, He commended His love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. When you stand and consider the cross and contemplate and give some attention and thought, and just behold, as it were, would you think about rejection that he went through, verbal abuse he encountered, physical abuse, or the spiritual abandonment, abandoned the point that he went to hell for us, and then he gave his very life, he died, and that's all 
being summarized by saying, God loves us. And He showed it. I was reading a book of sermons a while back. I took with me in a meeting. And uh, I don't even remember the author of the sermon, but uh, the sermons, but he was telling in this particular sermon, he was an Englishman, he was telling about, in his term, he said, uh, a devoted Christian, but he referred to him as just a, a simple countryman, and said his first time to come to, as they as want to say in those days, London town. Came to the big city. And, and said he was being shown some different places, taken to different places, and he was taken to a famous art gallery, and, uh, in that gallery, said, was one of the most moving, one of the most famous paintings of the crucifixion that was in that part of the world then. And, and as he was moving around, and, and he kept emphasizing that how devoted this man was, how committed he was to his Lord. And he said it was an afternoon, and the place was people just milling around, full of people. And said, when we moved into a corner, and, and uh, when the, the man moved into the corner and, and saw the, this, uh, this uh, crucifixion scene, He's so taken with it and so moved that he, you know, just, I mean, it was just his response. He pointed, not in a real loud voice, but they could hear him around. He said, I love him. And that really got people's attention. And he said again, you know, he just, he said, I love him. And uh, rather the sermon said, a rather dignified looking person walked over to him, put his hand on his shoulder and said, sir, I love him too. And he said there was a third one and a fourth one. And he says, like a revival broke out right there in the art gallery. Pardon me for being so personal. I read that in a motel room outside of Atlanta, Georgia, a holiday in there some time ago. And I found myself looking up toward the heaven about midnight that night and I said, Jesus, I'd like to say to you, I love you too. That's not a boast if I know my heart. I have nothing to boast in, but I tell you, he, when he found me, I was a wicked man, long ways from God. And when I come to Calvary and begin to ponder this, how could we keep from having a response and saying, I love him? Do you love him tonight? Are you committed to him? If you don't know him, how could you leave without responding to such love? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. God bless you tonight. <clears throat> You've been easy to speak to. I picked up some kind of bug. I said to one of the men back there tonight, I have a real hoarseness and my throat's not uh, in good shape tonight, but you've made it easy. You've been so attentive. You've been prayerful. And I appreciate you praying. <clears throat> Would you consider him in an age when so many of us are losing heart if we're not careful? I want to try to find a place to quit. Oh, how He wants to renew us. And part of that renewal will come. i got a sermon. I just go to some places where He tells how we can get renewed. And one of them is by beholding, thinking, looking, pondering Him. You get renewed by waiting. You get renewed by looking. And it's looking unto Him. Looking yonder at Calvary. You may want to come tonight and out of your coming, it may be your way of just a response to Him and saying, Lord, I, I'm grateful. I do love you. Is that Englishman said when he looked up there and saw love in action, understanding the Scriptures, he's over, overcome. He's overwhelmed. He said, I love Him. <clears throat> Pardon me, and I don't want to sound over pious. I know who I am. 
And I found myself saying to him this afternoon in the room when he got surreal. Oh God, that's beyond me. How, how you could care enough to give your son and Jesus, you'd give yourself for me. That's beyond me. I can't take that in. That you would do that for me. <clears throat> Our Father, seal these truths to us tonight. I pray that the Word of God is seed to fall into good ground. And Lord, when we're tempted to get a little weary and maybe run into some opposition, someone didn't want us and they rejected us and someone verbally abused us or someone even, perhaps we, we might encounter some physical suffering. Help us to just consider Thee. Now, Father, this has been good for me to be here this week. I, I appreciate this dear man of God, Your servant, His kindness, Your people. I pray, oh God, give them their heart's desire for Your glory. And do something tonight that's lasting in this room is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us. The pastor, if he'd be kind to come tonight. Let's stand together as we stand. The pastor's here.